You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. A text that I want to go to simply because it's New Year's, and oftentimes New Year's is associated with resolutions. That may be something that you do, make it a weekly or a yearly practice, lasts for a week, but you make it a yearly practice. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, January 1st comes around, let's lose some weight, eat better, less time on our devices, whatever it is. All of those are good. Um, it may be helpful physically, emotionally, you know, relationally and all of that. But there is something found in our text today that I want to remind us of that supersedes anything else, literally, supersedes anything else that I think um, it's a good reminder for us. Many of us have walked through John 15, I am sure, read it before. I've taught on it before, not here, but it's also a text that is really precious to me. It's one I go back to a number of times during the year, especially when I feel like I'm just sort of off the rails a little, bit, uh, a little bit distracted, maybe busy with things that are unnecessary, and I need to be reminded of that which is first and foremost. And so that's why we're looking at this passage today, John chapter 15. We're looking at, looking at verses 1 to 17. Let me read it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll start walking through it together. This is the upper room. Uh, these are hours before. This is hours before the arrest of Jesus. This is what is referred to by some as Monday, Thursday, Thursday night. Uh, Jesus with his, at this point, 11 apostles. Uh, this is what he says. John records, but this comes from the mouth of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, she it is, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just take some time to meditate on that this week, okay? Chew on that. Change your life. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, these are your words. John, uh, Holy Spirit inspired, wrote them down. He was there. He heard these from your lips. And we again hear them from your lips today as relevant to us in 2023 as they were when they were first uttered. Um, And I, I think whenever I read your words specifically coming from your lips, I think about your interaction with Peter when people were leaving you. And you ask Peter, are you not going to? And Peter's response is, where would we go? You have the words of life. These are words of life today, these words. Um, and so I pray that we would receive them as such, uh, words of life, transforming words of life. May we prove to be good soil today. I pray against the enemy who we hate, that he would not snatch good things that have been planted. I pray against distraction, the deceit, of wealth and things and more stuff, that they would not get in the way of this either, but that we would be people who bear fruit 30, 60, even 100 times. Help me as I teach this. I need much help. Um, So help me, use me in spite of me, I pray. In Jesus, your great name, amen. So one of my favorite texts, a lot in these 17 verses, some we're not gonna hit. Um, uh, We just don't have the time, but I I do wanna highlight some things and to help us unpack this passage, I simply just want to ask three very, very simple questions. Those questions are who and how and why. First, who are the characters in it? Jesus mentions several characters in this text. Secondly, how do they carry out their roles? What do they give themselves to? And then finally, why? What goal, what goal do they have, these characters that we'll see? What's the end game? So let's take them one at a time. First, who? Well, our text introduces us to three different characters. Uh, The first are the branches. Um, That's you and me. We are the branches. Uh, Verse 5, Jesus says exactly that. You are the branches, he declares there. And yet, there are three types of branches that Jesus speaks of. There are, first, branches who abide in Jesus and bear fruit. But then there are branches who don't abide in Jesus and don't bear fruit. And then there is a strange third group of branches that are in Jesus, but bear no fruit either. Lots of branches. We'll come back to them in a little bit. And then there is the vine dresser, second character that Jesus points out. Who is the vine dresser? Well, the vine dresser is the father. Jesus says that in verse 1. He's the tender of the vine, and he's the tender of of the branches. He's really busy in our text, and I'll, on the back end, I'll talk about all the things he gives himself to. And then there, finally, is the vine. Who's the vine? Well, the vine is Jesus. Verse 5, I am the vine. But he's not just any old vine. Jesus says that he is the true vine. Now, that word true is really important. If you like highlighting things in your Bible, highlight it. Because what it suggests is that there is a false vine out there somewhere. Now, what is the false vine? Well, I think it's safe to say that any vine that a branch attempts to graft onto apart from Jesus would be declared a false vine. 
I think that's fair to say. I think in your CGs this week, if you're talking about that, and we talk about in your CGs about false vines that people attempt to graft onto, I think safe, fair, I don't think you're saying anything that's unbiblical. However, it's not totally complete. Because when you read God's story from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22 and see the totality of his story, you discover, we discover when we do, is that the vine refers to Israel. Israel is God's vine. Um, God's chosen people are his, his vine. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the big P patriarchs of the people of Israel, are referred to as God's vine. Those that come after, that make up this nation, are referred to it this way. Um, Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. So we get this example in Psalm 80. But we also see in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, and you can read this with me. Israel is a luxuriant vine. So this takes away all debate. Israel is referred to as a vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built and his country improved. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. So what do we have? Well, God called, God chose the people of Israel to be his vine and to bear fruit like a vine should, to bear fruit in the world. Uh, one author writes and puts it this way, Israel had been chosen by God to be such a contagious witness of God that other nations would stream to her to find out more about this God. What's the problem? She didn't. Israel failed in her task. She proved herself to be false. This is depicted, if you've ever read the entrance of Jesus the last time into Jerusalem, there is this moment where he gets really hungry, so hungry he wants to eat a fig. Got to be really hungry to eat a fig. Newton, fine, but figs by itself you don't want to eat. So he goes to a tree, a fig tree, that looks like it's in fruit. It looks like it's in season. It's, it's looking ripe. Leaves, Fruit should be there, but it's not. He goes up to the tree looking for fruit. He curses the tree. This is a word picture. It's a metaphor. It's a living parable of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, when Jesus enters it during his earthly ministry, had all the pomp and circumstances, had, all the, had the temple, had, had, had worship, had the sacrifices. It had the law. It had all of it, but it had no fruit. And so Jesus, in a picture Depicting that curses the fig tree. So what does God do? If Israel, the vine, failed in her task, what does he do? Well, he plants another vine. Who is this? Well, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the better vine. Jesus is the true vine. What God wanted his people to be in and for the world, he became in Jesus. We just celebrated this couple weeks ago on Christmas Eve and, and so on. Jesus is the vine that will finally bear fruit in the world. But this leads to our second question. If that's who's in this 
passage, how does he accomplish the task? How does Jesus, the true vine, accomplish the task of bearing fruit in the world? Well, the answer is through us. Who are we? We're the branches. Take a look at verse 16. And keep in mind the first choosing of the first vine. Back in the calling of Abraham. And listen to what Jesus says here. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So in the same way that Israel was chosen, we are chosen to make much of the vine so as to draw men and women to the vine. But how do we? How do we, as the branches, bear this fruit? All-important question. How do we bear the fruit of a branch of the vine that is Jesus, so men and women come to Jesus? Well, the answer is found in verse 4. Take a look at verse 4. Don't look at my pretty mug. Look at verse 4, because Jesus... Jesus answers there, abide in me, and I in you. Adding in verse 5, that whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, she it is, that bears much fruit. There's our answer. Abide in Jesus and he in you. And please hear me on this, Midtown. This is our primary task. Nothing as a Christian is more important than this call of Jesus in John 15. Nothing. First, foremost, always precedes everything. Everything else follows and flows from it. In fact, this call to abide in Jesus even supersedes our call to love. Before we love, we are to abide. Why can I say that? Well, because from a, apart from Jesus, we can't. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, Jesus says which certainly includes the call to love others like Jesus loves us. I mean, take a look at verse 5, just to be very clear that I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus says. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, I can do, we can do nothing. You can't love as Jesus loves unless you abide in Jesus. What does it mean to abide? Well, the word means dwell. It means make your home in. So make your home in me as I make my home in you. One author calls this a mutual indwelling. We in Jesus, Jesus in us. What does that mean? What does it mean for us to be in Jesus and Jesus in us? Well, it means nothing less than this, that there is a life of another in us. We share the life of another, and that life is moving in us. To stick to the vine analogy, there is a sap of another that is flowing through us. He is the vine, we are the branches. It means then that the vitality of the vine is pulsating through us, the branches of the vine. Jesus dwells in us. The immortal dwells in the mortal. 
while our bodies break down, and they do, right? Starting in the early 20s and really ramping up at 50, really (laughs) ramping up. So our bodies break down, but while they break down, our life and light, the light of Jesus, the life of Jesus, inhabit us. They make their home in us. They dwell in us. They abide in us. That's why Paul can say, for example, in 2 Corinthians 4.16, we do not lose heart. Why? Why don't we lose heart? Well, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner inner self is being renewed day by day by way of the Spirit of Jesus abiding in us. That's what verse 5 tells us. And please note that word in, like I said, if you like underlining things in your Bible, underline the word in, because it doesn't say that Jesus is with us. It doesn't say that Jesus is alongside of us. It doesn't say that Jesus is for us, although he certainly is all things. But most importantly, Jesus is in us, mysteriously, significantly, and wonderfully, so, wondrously so. He's in us. And what does that mean? It means that everything that is in Jesus is in us. Let me say that again. Everything that is in Jesus is in us. His life, his vitality, his creativity, his power, his strength are in us. His light and his holiness, his beauty, his mercy, his truth, his grace, his courage and patience and hope and love and joy and peace. All of it in us. He infers to this, in part at least, if you take a look at verse 11, when he says there, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Not that you have joy, but you have my joy. Not just joy, not just peace, not just love, mine. Why? So that your joy your love, your peace, your patience, your self-control may be full. This answers the all-important question that I think people get confused about when it comes to talking about fruit. What is the fruit we are to bear? And to be clear, we are called to bear fruit in this passage six times. Jesus says we are to bear not only fruit, much fruit. So what's the fruit we are to bear if Jesus is in us and we in him? The reason why I pause here to make sure that we get this is because when I've shared this text, and I've shared this text, I specifically do this if I have opportunities to speak to fellow pastors and church planters, because so many can get so discouraged, and and this isn't only exclusive to them, but we get so discouraged because we evaluate how we're doing by the fruit of ministry. You know what I mean? Got 10 now, next year 20, awesome, fruit, man. It's great, but the opposite, got 20, 10, no fruit, sucks. Discouraged, got to get out of the game. Obviously, God's not with me. Is that the fruit? Now, there is fruit of ministry, there's no doubt, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. What is the fruit if Jesus is in us and we in him that we are to bear? The answer is Jesus. We are to bear Jesus. That's the fruit. 
the life of Jesus in us and through us, the life of Jesus in us and through us into the world. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This makes sense, right? When you walk through a vineyard, you go to Kelowna, man, you go through Mission Hills, winery, and you're walking through, the, you know, the, the vineyard and the grape. When you go up to a grapevine, what do you expect to see? Coconuts? Grapes, right? Fig trees. What do fig trees, if they're faithful fig trees, what do they bear? Figs. Apple trees bear apples. What do Jesus' vines bear? Jesus. He's the fruit we are to bear. He, but hear me on this. He's the fruit we are to bear in us and through us when things stink and things are exploding all around us and our bodies are wasting away and there is more month left than money and your kids are off the rails. Relationships stink. Your boss is a bozo. He's the fruit we are to bear when it's like that or just the opposite, when everything's rock star status in your life. Money's good, relationship's good, kids are great, man, healthy, right? You look better, you're bouncing quarters off your belly, you're awesome, right? <laughs> but same fruit, same fruit, the fruit of Jesus when we're in want and the same fruit of Jesus when we're in plenty. Jesus. What fruit specifically? Well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Isn't that the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus in us? When Galatians 5 is written, when Paul writes Galatians 5, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's saying manifest Jesus. Bear the fruit of Jesus in you. In good times and in bad. And when we bear that kind of fruit, do you know what will happen? The, the nations will be drawn to Jesus through us. Especially when we bear his kind of love for one another. Take a look at verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Not too arduous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Big long list? No, just love one another. Love me, love one another, as I have loved you. But to love as Jesus loved us means we must abide in Jesus because it's supernatural love. It's a love that is required to be poured out into our hearts. Look at verse 3. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. With the uh, time that I have remaining, let me address the question, and another all-important question. How do we abide in Jesus? If this is the most important thing we can do as followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ, how do we abide? What does that mean? Dwell, make our home? How does, well, nicely, sweetly, helpfully, Jesus gives us some answers. The first is that we abide in his word. Take a look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus says there. So we abide in Jesus by letting his words abide in us. What is this? The scriptures. 
All scriptures bring us to Jesus. Jesus himself said that. So we abide in his words. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of Christ. So we make our home in Jesus by having the scriptures make their home in us. Words that aren't just ink on a page, words that not only inform us, words that transform us. In fact, in verse 3, do you recall what Jesus said to the apostles there? Already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the, hear it, through the living and abiding, there's our word again, word of God. Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word won't. So Jesus comes to us by way of his word. Jesus makes his home in us through his words. This is the only way to know Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, as I said, quoting Romans 10, comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. Without his words, we do not know him. We can only guess what he's like. We can make up things about him. We, we can share our thoughts about him on who he is and who he may be. But without the word, we aren't in total assurance of who he is. Daryl Johnson, a former pastor in the city, I would call him a friend of mine, I haven't seen him for a while though. But Daryl Johnson asked this question tied into this text. I wonder if part of the reason we do not always bear Jesus' fruit is because we are not relating to Jesus as he really is, but to Jesus as we make him out to be. This is why our morning devotions or evening devotions or whatever you call them, quiet time, personal time of worship, whatever it is, however you, however you live that out in your own life, this is why it's so important. It's, it's a time for us to draw close. It's a time for us to, to dwell in the presence of Jesus and, and come to Jesus by way of the words that he has given us, words like this and others as well. It's like when I go away on, on trips, if they're longer, uh, I, when I go on a trip, don't fail to be or don't stop being my wife's husband or my kid's dad. Uh, that remains the same, whether I'm with them or not. But if I go away on longer trips, I like to connect with them. And the beauty of today is I can FaceTime or Zoom or Skype or whatever, and it's sweet, right? We get to see each other. We're drawing close. They tell me what's going on. I tell them what's going on. I hear from them. They hear from me. They pray for me. I pray for them. It's great. You get strengthened in those times. You're encouraged in those times to go back to your day-to-day. That's this. You're not just coming to words. You're coming to Jesus. Not just studying a book, you're studying Jesus. You read this from beginning to end with gospel lenses. How does this make sense in light of the cross? How does Leviticus make sense in light of the cross? Some of you are reading through the Bible. You get into Genesis, Exodus, pre- oh man, here they come, right? You got to grunt through numbers, right? Leviticus, read them in light of the cross. 
Why does this make sense in light of what Jesus did? Because they all find their fulfillment in Jesus. So we draw close, we Skype with Jesus. So abide in his word. Secondly, abide in his love. Abide in my love, Jesus summons us to do ever so clearly in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Like I said, that should change your life. Abide in my love. Our greatest need, right? Our greatest need is to know that we are loved. That's not my thought alone. Not that to, to be loved. We are loved. We are loved. Our, our greatest need is to know we are loved and to abide in that love. It's the greatest need of hum, humanity. Nothing more important. To know we are loved and to abide in it. And therefore, we make our home in him by making our home in his love. But where do we find out about his love? In his word. On our own, we do not know what love is. Our world guesses at it. Lots of definition for love. But we know what love is. And we know the definition of love in that Jesus died for us. We know what love is. True love is. No greater love than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. Jesus says in our text in verse 13, but Jesus didn't only lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us while we were enemies and sinners. But he died for us. What does it mean to abide in his love? It means that we don't ever forget John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave us his son Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. It means we walk in the confidence of knowing that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. It means that we join Paul along with Paul praying that not only would we increase in knowledge, but that we would increase in love for God and for others. It means that we join Paul in praying that we would have the strength to comprehend how deep and high and wide and far is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. This is a abiding in the love that we have for Jesus and an abiding in the love that he has for us. And why is this so important? Well, it's important because we all become what we love. All of us. We become what we love. Love is the worthiest present that we can offer to God, as one Puritan put it. So we make our home in Jesus by abiding in his word and by abiding in his love. But also there's a third way that we make our home in Jesus, abide in him, and that is by the working of the vine dresser. Now we're back to the vine dresser. Um, that's the father. And as I said earlier on, he's really busy in our text. Two of his activities, there's a third, but two of his activities are recorded in verse two. And the first is, he takes away those branches in Jesus who aren't bearing fruit. The NIV says, he cuts off any branch in Jesus not bearing fruit. Huh? Jesus takes away Jesus cuts off a branch in Jesus that doesn't bear fruit. 
this trouble anybody? A lot of verses in the Bible of the assurance that we have in Jesus. Right? Philippians 1.6, what God begins, he completes. Paul says, I'm assured of this. Romans 8.30, Paul says, those he calls, one day he glorifies. There's no stop in the process. You're called, you're going to be glorified one day. So what do we do with this? How do we reconcile this? Well, it may help you to know that the phrase takes away can also be rendered lift up. The verb translated takes away, iro in the Greek, does mean in certain contexts takes away, but in other contexts it means to lift up. John is obviously the writer of the Gospel of John. He uses the word Iro in this way in several places in this same Gospel. For example, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, the apostles gather 12 basketfuls of leftover that John writes, they lifted up Iro. As Jesus makes his way up the hill, where he is crucified, John tells us that Jesus was forced to iro, take up his cross, to lift it up and carry it himself. Could Jesus then, understanding this, be saying that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser lifts up? Not to get rid of the branch but to help the branch to be and do what the branch is supposed to be and do. Uh, there's a, a book titled The Secrets of the Vine. The author, Bruce Wilkinson, in the book has a conversation with a vine dresser. And the vine dresser told him that new branches have a tendency to trail down and grow along the ground. And then, when that happens, they cannot bear fruit because they are lying on the ground. The leaves get coated in dust. When it begins to rain, that dust turns to mud, and soon the leaves begin to mildew. The branch gets sick. You ever feel that way? Anybody feel that way now? Do you ever feel, even though you're in Jesus, that you come to places and times in your life where you just feel like there's no way I could ever bear the fruit of Jesus? We've all felt that, I think. We feel sick. We feel coated with crap. And we're bearing anything but the fruit of Jesus. What do you do with such branches? Bruce asked the vine dresser. Do you cut them off and throw them away? Oh no, exclaimed the vine dresser. The branch is much too valuable for that. The vine dresser continued, we go through the vineyard <laughs> with a bucket of water looking for those branches. We lift them up, Iro and we wash them off. 
A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he does not snuff out. Jesus, our high priest, sympathizes with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses move him towards sympathy. That's the love of our vine dresser. When the father sees a branch in his vine in Jesus that has, for whatever reason, fallen on the ground and is covered with mud, he does not cut it off. The branch is much too valuable for that. Midtown, you're much too valuable for that. I am much too valuable for that. No, the father lifts the branches up. He washes them off, enabling them to flourish. You see, Midtown, the father really wants to see the life of his son reproduced in the world. It's his plan and purpose for us that we would be transformed into the image of his son. Nothing more important to our father. Nothing. And when he sees a branch in Jesus' vine not bearing his fruit, he lifts it up so it can be, so it can bear fruit, so that you can bear fruit and I can bear fruit. So that's one of the things that the vine dresser does in his busyness is he, he, he lifts up those branches in Jesus that aren't bearing fruit. Secondly, he also works by pruning us. Verse 2. To those branches bearing fruit, he says, so branches in Jesus not, not bearing fruit, but bearing fruit, he prunes. To what end? What's the goal in verse 2? So that it would bear more fruit of Jesus. So the vine dresser cuts away that which gets in the way, that which hinders and stunts growth. And sometimes, hear me, that's bad stuff. I'm thinking of Hebrews 12 right now, the sin that gets in the way that we are to put behind us. But here's the thing that I've discovered in my life walking with Jesus. That sometimes means really good stuff too. And he says, enough of that. I'm taking that away. Because my goal for your life is Jesus in you and through you. And sometimes it's the best things in our lives that get in the way of us becoming more like Jesus. And so he prunes us. Hurts though, right, man? Hurts. I mean, one of the questions that you'll wrestle with in your CG this week is, are any of you right now feeling like you're being pruned? And the thing that's hard about when, when our vine dresser prunes us is our enemy loves to go, well, obviously God is displeased with you because you're not healthy. Kids aren't doing well. Job stinks. Friends have abandoned you. Marriage sucks. Whatever. Well, obviously the... Father's displeased. The great thing about that book is the vine dresser says, the vine dresser is never closer to the vines and the branches than when he's pruning them. He kneels down and he gets close. It would be just like our enemy to suggest that in those times, our vine dresser, who is our father in heaven, who's a good father, would be far away from us. He's close. He's near. And these things are taking place because he loves you with a love eternal, a perfect love, a love to the end so that you become more like Jesus. And finally, our vine dresser, 
not talked about in verse 2, but we see it in other places, is that he works in us by sending his spirit. Uh, Notice what Jesus says in the same upper room discourse, but a chapter earlier in John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells. There's our word. He abides with you and will be in you. The spirit who empowers and enables and births his fruit in and through us. What a vine dresser. What a vine dresser. So that's who? Three characters. That's how. And finally, and very briefly, why? What's the end game in all of this? Well, we've seen some answers already. One of the reasons certainly is to prove we are disciples of Jesus. We bear fruit. Jesus bears fruit through us as his sap runs through us. We bear fruit to prove that we are disciples of Jesus. Another reason is to glorify the Father, the vine dresser. Take a look at at verse 8. Jesus says exactly that. By this, my Father is glorified. How is he glorified, Jesus? That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So those are two really good reasons. Makes sense. I mean, if you came to my house, I've, I've tried to grow tomatoes. Nicole mainly does it for me, but I have tomatoes. And when I, if they're growing and there's fruit and there's big tomatoes, and you come over to my house, I go, come on, check out, check out my tomatoes. Look how great a vine dresser I am, right? That's what this does. When we bear fruit, we make much of the vine dresser. Look at the fruit, man. Look at the big tomatoes. And we, again, prove to be disciples. Also, what is the end game? So people come to Jesus. So the nations come to Jesus. So across the street, people come to Jesus. And people in Tanzania and around the world come to Jesus. So those are reasons why. But there's one more that I'd like to offer. We, we are to abide in Christ and he in us because of what we read in verse 6. For, for hell is real. And one day all those not grafted onto the vine that is Jesus will be bundled up and thrown into the fire. And I don't say that with joy. And I hate to leave on a sober note like this to talk about this fire of separation that is not only real but never quenched or satisfied. I, I understand And yet, at the same time, I need to because it's no act of love to suggest otherwise. So that's why. And that's why as we go into 2023, we will continue making Jesus known for there's no other name under heaven by which men and women are saved. And it's also why, as we go into 2023, that I call you to abide for apart from him, you can do nothing that will stand the test of time And we can do nothing that will stand the test of time. Fire will burn it up. We need to abide in him, make our home in him. Don't do more in 2023. Don't do more. Simplify if you can. Give give yourself to this. Add this. And so as I close, I close by asking, what are you grafting onto? What vine are you grafting onto? So many people I know, and I know it myself personally, are so busy about so many lesser things, ever working but rarely abiding. 
Ever planning, but rarely praying. Ever online, but rarely dwelling in the word. Pursuing the fruit of success, but not the fruit of Christ in them. Are you? Am I? Can we commit that by God's grace, it will be all of us in 2023 and hereafter? For the glory of the vine dresser, to prove we are disciples, to make much of his son Jesus, and for the sake of those who are not yet grafted onto Jesus. Would you rise as I pray for us? Uh, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, you have spoken to us. Your instructions and exhortations are clear. You call us to abide in you. You call us to abide in your word. You call us to abide in your love. You, you, you tell us that those, those who love you will obey your commands. But what is your command? Love you and love others. And not only do you call us to love you and love others, you enable us by the Spirit who's been poured out into us to love you and love others. It's the only way we can love others like you love us. And so may we be people, individually and corporately, that flesh this out, live this out. Please help us. We come before you and we say, we can't do this. We can't. We can't do this, but we want to. So give us more of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as you said, your Father is a good God and will give more Holy Spirit to those who come to him. So we want more Holy Spirit. Stir our affections for you. Give us the strength to comprehend your love for us. May our love increase. May our knowledge increase so that people, the nations are drawn to you. Use us. We want to bear fruit. Want to make much of the vine dresser. So help us in this, please. For the glory of your name, and our furtherance in Christ-likeness. And I pray for these things, all of them, in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.